Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on Grace Church, visit us at gracemc.org. Hey, good morning, Grace. <laughs> it's good to be with you again. And uh, by the way, Patsy, if you're still in here, you are, you are one of the reasons uh, why I love coming to this church. The spirit-filled way that, that, that this church is at work in, in your community and uh, I just, uh, I've seen it, I, I know it, I've, I've watched churches like yours, and uh, where God is at work, where the Holy Spirit's at work through his people, that is a wonderful place to be. I can't think of a better place to be. Um, I was here last week, thanks for putting up with me, like three weeks out of the last six weeks you've had me here. Um, I haven't been home yet since last week, so uh, I, my wife was with me last week, she um, Traveled from the Des Moines area, and we were in separate cars. I went off somewhere else. She went back home, so I haven't seen her for a week. Today is her birthday, so if you're online, I'm going home right after this, so don't catch me in the hallway after this, okay? But, but if you're online um, and I wink, it's, it's for my wife, not for you, okay? Just, uh, but it doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means that I'm winking for her. Don't get anything, any ideas about that. Anyway, um, uh, because she watches, um, wherever I travel, she watches uh, the online services. So just want to make sure, I'll give her a little wink at the beginning. Um, but let's, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I'm really excited to share this message, but I also want you to know it's, it's one that's going to make you think. And every, t- every time you come to church, you ought to, uh, you ought to come with your, with your brains and with your heart and you ought to be fully in saying, God, what do you want me to know? And then what do you want me to do? How do you want me to know about you and the way that you see this world and the way you see me? And what do you want me to do with that? And so God's word is like that. It's, it's unlike anything else in your life. It is truth. It penetrates to the heart. It's life-changing. It's life-altering. When you come to church and you hear the Word of God and you hear it taught, and I love this church because it, it has a gospel footprint in this community, but when you hear the Word of God, you cannot remain the same. You will either harden your heart today because of God's Word, or you will open your heart to God and you will move more in a direction of, of Christ-likeness. You cannot be unchanged today as we open God's Word. And it really doesn't matter who delivers it either. It is God's word. It's powerful. It's life-changing. And let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, Christ, our, our Savior, our beautiful Savior. We, have, um, we owe all of our hope and encouragement only to you. You are Lord of all. Lord, may you have your way with us uh, through your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody here um, willing to admit you're a U2 fan? Any U2 fans here? Kind of old rockers? Come on, come on, some, some old rockers here. All right. Or middle-aged rockers or young rockers. I don't care. Um, do you remember back in, way, I go way back to 1987. Do you remember their album, Joshua Tree? Anybody remember that album? And do you remember the song on there that you will never forget, and this will be in your head for the next two days? Do you remember it? I still haven't found what? What I'm looking for, right? I'm going to quit right there because you're all going to, you're all going to, you know, want earplugs or something. But you're never, that song's going to be in your head. But you know what? That's, that's the cry of mankind. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And we look everywhere. And in this world, there are places we look in our work, we look in our relationships, we look in stuff. 
We want to buy stuff. We want to accumulate stuff. We want to sell stuff. Uh, We want to have uh, the feelings of this life matters. And we try to grab the wind. And trying to grab the wind under the sun, when we try to grab the wind on this material earth, what we find is it always always eludes our grasp. Always. And you know what? Many of us have figured that out along the way that that my heart yearns for something, but it has to come from outside of this material world. It has to come from a sovereign God who sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be savior of the world, to die, to uh, die on a cross, a perfect savior. And he, you know what? Here, if, you do, if you forget everything else today, remember this. You have a God who loves you so deeply, you cannot even imagine how much he loves you. The second thing I want you to know is you can be forgiven in Jesus Christ for everything you've done. You can be enveloped into his family. And thirdly, he will design your life and has designed your life because you matter to him. He made you unique, and there is a design for your life, and there is a purpose this sovereign God has for your life. If you forget everything else from today, do not forget that. But none of us have found what we're looking for outside of this, of this uh, world is the only place we can find it in this immaterial world. Uh, in this material world, we're never going to find that kind of happiness. Our soul will always long for more if it isn't found in Christ alone. I want to show you a picture of uh, a little kid at Christmas many years ago. We're going to go way back to the mid-60s right here. What a dorky little kid, right? Yeah, that's me back in, I don't know, 66, 65, I don't know. I'm not sure even how old I was there, but I don't remember ever being a cowboy, ever ever liking cowboy hats, but here it is, kind of pinned to my head um, when I'm just a couple of years old. Here's, it looks like a real happy Christmas, and if you're around my age, you're probably like, oh, that's what it was like. It was just great memories. You know what that, that little kid didn't know is that his father was an alcoholic, that his uh, dad would, you know, would have cancer by age 39. He would die at 39. So I was 13. That um, his mom was sexually abused as a child um, so much that she was incapable of connecting emotionally. And, uh, and my heart just breaks for what she had to go through. And that in that home, there was, there was uh, on the outside looked okay, the house looked okay, everything looked fine, but on the inside, it was a wreck. And so I grew up just kind of like, where is the real joy of life? Where is the real connection of life? Trying to find hope and trying to find happiness in everything else uh, under the sun, trying to find it in all the stuff of this world. And I went down every, every single path you could imagine and in that, at age 17, I found Christ, Savior and Lord. He opened my heart. He changed my life. And I want you to know I didn't become perfect at that point. I was sanctified, which means he sees Christ now instead of seeing my sin. But I'm being sanctified, and then one day I will be fully sanctified and will be in heaven and will never sin again, and it will be an amazing, amazing uh, eternity. But all, all leading up to that, you know, even after we come to faith in Christ, we still have these little journeys down paths of, can I find happiness here? Can I find joy here? And what happens when we do that, whether it's relationship or work or whatever, is that we really try to get life out of things that weren't meant to give us life. 
And we can, we can kind of make that really not work, whether it's a relationship, work, money, whatever, bank accounts, stuff, big house, whatever. We can try to find life out of things that when we get to the end of that trail, we realize it was never meant to give us life. Maybe some enjoyment. I mean, I love a 38 years marriage to my wife, but I've learned long ago that we don't try to find life from each other. We are simply to serve and love each other and encourage one another on this incredible journey. And then one day we get to hold, one of us gets to hold the other one's hand as they go to eternity. And that may be the most holy moment of all. And that will come. Now, I'm not looking forward to that day, but it's part of that journey. Ecclesiastes is a great book because it gives us answers that you don't get anywhere else. And by the way, by 1130, we're not going to have this all wrapped up, perfectly tied up. But I want, to, I want you to think deeply today. I want you to think deeply and I want you to go on from here and say, Lord, I, I want to know more about finding my joy and my life only in you. If there's a man who could find meaning outside of God, it would have been Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes. And uh, that's why many authors have said it's the truest of all books. In fact, um, all Scripture is amazing. But when, when I really need a, a reminder of some of the deepest answers that you can get in life, I go to Ecclesiastes. It's my favorite book of the Bible. It points to a Savior. It points to a, a need for a Savior. Ecclesiastes means preacher. It simply means someone who is preaching. And, and uh, it also is, is derived from the word ecclesia, which means congregation or assembly. And rabbis would read Ecclesiastes in the synagogue every year on Pentecost. Isn't that interesting? And the purpose of Ecclesiastes is right here. You'll see it on the screen. Chapter 12, verse 14. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. In other words, see God as different than you. If you don't see God as different than you, then you don't have a fear of God. God's not your big guy. God's not your, your boy. God is in heaven, immortal, invisible. Um, he is, he's almighty. He's holy. He is just. He's perfect in everything he does. He sees you. He made you, created you. And Solomon's the author, and he wrote it around 931 B.C., written to young people. And it's written to young people. He's an older man looking back saying, don't do the, the dumb things I did. So if you're younger here today, uh, then Solomon is writing to you. But if you're my age, you're, you're, you know, you're in those, I'm 60. If you're in those years of, you know what, I'm, I'm in those, uh, that last third of life or whatever, um, look at it as something that we all can learn from and grow, but also to pass it along to the next generation. Uh, why, why do we listen to Solomon? Look at this passage in 1 Kings 4, 29 to 34. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, Wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman and Calcol and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Take their word from it. You've never heard of some of those people, but take their word from it. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005, very musical, 
He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke of beasts and birds and reptiles and fish. He gave biology lessons. I mean, the man was really wise. God gave him a tremendous amount of wisdom. And from all the kings of the earth, they came to hear his wisdom. And in chapter 4, he comes to us and says, we got a big problem. We've got a major problem. And uh, that problem, as you look at, and this question that really haunts us, and, and you can go ahead and put that up on the screen. Um, and, and you might say, I don't, really, I don't really question God. And I would say um, that you're either lying to me or you're not thinking deeply. Because you do question God. There are times in your life where you say, why? Or God, did it have to be that way? Life is difficult, and it is not meant to be traveled alone. Last couple of times I was here, I talked about needing community and and what community does for you, having others in your life that encourage you and come alongside you. And you know what? Um, That's going to be part of the solution we'll come back to in in a moment. But if you're following along in your outline, there are times of suffering and pain that appear to have no redemptive purpose. I'm going to show you a picture of one in just a minute, but Kevin Carter was a photographer and a good photographer, a young photographer. He won a Pulitzer Prize for a picture. And if you win a Pulitzer, that, that's a big deal. And in fact, for some people, that's what they're looking to do, win a Pulitzer Prize. You've heard of that before. It's a big deal for a photographer to win a Pulitzer Prize, big deal. And his picture, let's take a look at it now, is one of the most difficult pictures you will ever look at. A picture of a little girl who is dying. In Sudan, they had a famine that was so bad that um, UN feeding stations were set up, and these people, some of them alone, like this little girl, didn't have the energy. She's about a mile from the feeding station in this picture, and a vulture is waiting for her to die. That's the picture. That was submitted. It was, it was awarded a Pulitzer Prize. It's called Suffering Girl. One of, the, one of the most horrific pictures you will ever see. And in a picture, I think it, it summarizes some of the pain and, and suffering of this world that you and I cannot, we just can't get our arms around it. There are people in your community that, that, are, that are hurting and starving. And by the way, I just want you to know that when a, when a church comes alive with the gospel of Jesus Christ, they do good things in their community. Don't start, I've had people say to me in the past, well, you just do good works. No, you know what? The gospel in us comes alive and we have to do good works to build goodwill to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We are um, maybe um, in doing that, uh, we minister to people who are deeply, deeply suffering. This man, Kevin Carter, took that picture. Somebody came up to him after he won the Pulitzer and said, I just have to ask you, did you, what did you do after you got done filming? What did you do for the little girl? And he said, um, I just packed up my stuff and I drove away. I don't know what that does to you, but I can't imagine what it did to him either. After four months, four months after he won the Pulitzer Prize, he took his own life. And you know what? God sees all of that oppression and difficulty and pain and suffering in this crazy world. And he says to us, there, not only is there, there hope in Christ, 
But the church becomes the answer and the hope and the encouragement and the help. And if you are ever in a situation, by the way, where there, you might not be able to do it all, but if there is one that you can help, what a way to honor Christ by reaching out and helping that one. But that's not what this message is about. Other times, there's outright oppression. Look at verses 1 to 3. Again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. This is Ecclesiastes 4, 1 to 3. I saw all the oppressions done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. So I commended the dead who already died. Isn't that crazy? On their side, oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Have you ever driven past a cemetery and said, those are the lucky ones. They don't have to cry anymore. They don't have to hurt anymore. They don't have to have the pain of this world anymore. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. There have been times that hurt has been so deep that, like, man, I'm just a little jealous. And I thought the dead already dead, more fortunate than living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. And what are those evil deeds? God hears from heaven the cries of the abused, the bullied, the trafficked, the unloved spouse who is left behind and abandoned, the one that you thought you could trust and they just walked away. He hears when you're walking away from that fresh grave and those are tears that are running down your cheek because you have no idea what you're going to do next. God sees it all and he cares deeply for you. And I started thinking Solomon's frustration here with oppression and pain and the reality of it. And then he goes on to say much about it and those with power sometimes don't do anything. You know, most people want authenticity, and I want you to know this is not one of those sermons. I'm going to give you three nice packaged little things that you can do to feel better about all of this. What I am going to tell you, though, is that your hope has got to come from outside of this material world, and it has to come from Christ. And that is God's intent. Frederick Buechner, I... He died about a year ago. He's an author. I don't agree with everything he wrote, so um, please remember that when I, when I say this. I think you ought to read some of what he's written. Here's, here's one of his quotes about tears, about tears. You never know what may cause them. The sight of the Atlantic Ocean can do it, or a piece of music, or a face you've never seen before, or a pair of somebody's old shoes can do it. Almost any movie made before the great sadness that came over the world after World War II, a horse cantering across a meadow, a high school basketball team running onto the gym floor at the start of a game. You can never be sure. I would add to this when you're at your wedding and you, you, see, you see your spouse and you're walking down the aisle, those kind of times. You can never be sure, but be sure of this. Wherever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it is well to pay the closest attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you've come from and is summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go next. I love that quote. Think about your tears. I'm one that likes to hide my tears. I don't like people to see me crying. I'm embarrassed by it. 
And, you know, I'm even a little embarrassed to tell you that. But I get embarrassed by my tears and my feelings and my emotions. And I want to have it all together, but I want you to know, as I stand before you, I don't have it all together. There are tears, and there are tears that I don't understand at times. And I ask, I just ask God, where are they coming from? What do you want to teach me? What do I need to do? How do I need to live? God's solution to our pain is really clear in this text. Authentic community with others in the church, God's church, God's people, not a building, but God's people gathered together, the body of Christ, loving each other, coming alongside one another, caring for one another, being there when they hurt, loving one another through difficult seasons, forgiving one another. That's the church. How do we do that? By the way, some of you will have closer Christian friends than you will have family because family might not understand you. You might even have a rift in your family. I don't know. But the body of Christ somehow becomes for you a people that will walk with you through very difficult seasons in life. Now this uh, passage, we're going to jump to verse 9 if you have your Bibles open. I'm going to let you just have a moment to get there. Verse 9 to 12, you hear this at weddings a lot. In fact, I've I've had weddings where, so please, if you have this at your wedding, this is not a put-down, but it's not for weddings, okay? It's not about marriage. Does it apply to marriage? Maybe in some peripheral way, maybe in some grand way, but it's it's not about that. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another lift him up. That's saying if you don't have community, you're going to be not only alone, but you're going to be suffering alone. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. That's where kind of people like, well, it's got to be marriage, right? Well, you live in Mason City. If you didn't have heat blowing through your walls, uh, you'd figure out how to stay warm, right? But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So the role of a redemptive community becomes extremely important in our lives. And because the world is a place of of sin and oppression and difficulty. By the way, it's also a place of laughter and joy and excitement. And especially when you get your life from Christ outside of this material world, then you truly begin to enjoy the things of life because you're not trying to get life out of them. Does that make sense? You're not trying to grab life from them. Like, I I truly enjoy my marriage a whole lot more than when I used to think my role was to make my wife happy or her role was to make me happy. We don't get or give life to each other. However, Boy, treating each other well, loving each other, ministering to each other, and just plain trusting each other and having that integrity. What a joy it is to have that kind of a relationship. But we don't try to get life out of it. So as you face all the the pains in life, uh, there's healing that has to take place as well. Because when we get hurt, it's hard for us to trust. And in the church, when we get hurt, it hurts worse than anywhere else. And so as you do that, just remember as you walk in this, that there is this picture that we're all walking toward, and that is biblical community in the body of Christ where we find our hope and encouragement from Christ in a world that is so uh, in in need of that kind of life. I want to show you a picture of of Whitewater 
Uh, easy for me to say, white water wafting is what this is. A little white water wafting. Um, this is my family, my wife and I and our kids. And this is a few years ago, of course, because our kids are grown. They're married now. And, uh, and we have awesome um, in-laws and uh, son-in-laws and daughters-in-law. And anyway, we have four kids, and they're in the front, and, and uh, Tracy and I in the back. And uh, we're all like, you know, we're, we're in Colorado. This is a river you can die in, okay? We didn't know that when we got into it, but there are stories after we found. Um, you could die in this river. And, and it, I mean, it moves, it curves, it goes down. It's just, and they said, we're, it's about at the level the day we went where they would shut it down. I mean, it was just about at that level where it was running fast and you know, we're still, we're still taking buses up there and, and dropping people in the water. And we're like, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. And so we're all smiling, right? Notice there's one guy in the boat who's not smiling. <laughs> His job is to keep us alive. And if he comes back and he has one less or two less than he left with, he'll lose his job. He's trying to keep us alive. But you know the great thing about it is? Why could we rest? He knew, he knew the river. He knew every turn. He knew when it dipped. He knew how to get us away from you know, rocks that would probably tip us. Um, and he said, if you tip over, this is what you need to do, and blah, blah, blah. And we didn't listen. But anyway, we never tipped over. Um, he's back there serious, and I'm really glad he is. He was not having a good time. He was working hard. Here's what I want you to see from that picture. You are not walking through this crazy life alone. That guy's like the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit knows your next turn, knows what rapids are ahead for you, knows exactly the course that your life is headed, and he's with you. You're not alone. I love it that we were not left alone. We were given the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us and be present in our lives. And in fact, in Ephesians, it says, you were given the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing eternal life. Isn't that an awesome blessing? You know when you have that good idea that you, you need to encourage or come alongside somebody or pray for somebody? That's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You know when you have that, uh, you know what, I, I want to do this, and then you feel convicted because that would lead you down a path that really isn't good for you, and you have that conviction. That's the Holy Spirit. When you have somebody come into your life, and by the way, I love going and talking to our pastors in, a, in the churches that I get to serve. And I love looking them in the eye and saying, you're the right guy for this place. God called you here. You know what? That's the Holy Spirit when we encourage other people and come alongside them. We need that community, and we need to know we are not alone. We desperately need each other. Well, man, in five minutes, we're going to get through a lot. We're going to get through a lot. There are several things that keep us from having this kind of community, and I'm going to list them really fast, okay? The first one is envy. We're envious of other people. Why do they have it easier than I have it? Look at verse 4. I saw all that labor and skillful work is due to a person's jealousy of another. That too is futile and a, pers a pursuit of the wind. So he's going back to that oppression, and he jumps ahead and says, here's what real community looks like. And then he says, these are things that get in the way for us. One is envy, the feeling of wanting to have what someone else has. 
You know, real community can't happen when you're jealous of another person. What they have, the relationship they have, the stuff they have, the work they have. If they had my problem, they would be much worse than me. Forget all of that. Jealousy gets in the way of real community because we will never get tight with and close with and trust somebody that we're jealous of. So we have to, we have to, it'll derail it. Second is sloth or, or, um, laziness. Sloth or laziness. Look at verse five. The fool, I love this verse. The fool folds his arms and consumes his own flesh. That is a gross verse. Can you imagine um, bringing a coffee cup to you know, Christmas, like giveaway, and, and you got to, you know, you, you put this verse on it? You would never do that. We'd never do that. The fool folds his arm, consumes his own flesh. What, what they're saying is sometimes we can get so lazy, we don't do the hard work of relationship. You know what? If you have somebody you need to forgive, forgive them, even if they never want to talk to you again. And I'm not saying let people abuse you. By all means, do not stay. If you're being abused, you just don't, you just don't become a doormat and let people abuse you. However, forgive and move on because forgiveness is for you. Take them off of your hook. Put them on God's hook. Because if you really want God to deal with them, he's not going to deal with them in the same way if you are holding on to that because he's still going to do that work in your life. You know what? Forgiveness is for us when we hold. We get too lazy in relationship, and there's some difficult things we need to do. And I guarantee you, when you do that, the cancer that's kind of in your mind and heart over this relationship, some of it will just begin to go away. I mean, I can't explain it. There's people in my life that I had to forgive that they didn't deserve my forgiveness by any means. They've never asked for it. Um, there are some people in, uh, along my path that have been extremely rude and hurtful and betrayed me personally. We have, to, we have to do the hard work. The third thing is discontentment can get in the way. Look at verse 6. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort in pursuit of the wind. You know, when we're always looking at the future and saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not content where I'm at. I need a little bit more. Or if I only had just, God, if you just gave me a little more, I'd be happy. No, contentment is found in saying, I'm satisfied today. Lord, whatever place you've put me, whatever role you've placed me in, I find my contentment there. And you know what? When we're content, we can look to others and encourage them, come alongside them and be um, someone for them that can help them through the difficult seasons of life. Excessive work is the next one. Mental or physical activity as a means of earning income. Look at verses 7 through 8. Again, I saw futility under the sun. There's a person without a companion, without even a son or brother. And though there is no end to all of his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself of good things? This too is futile and a miserable task. So I've been a pastor for like 30, 30 years, long time. And I remember early, uh, early in our marriage, and we've, again, been married 38 years. So 10-year anniversary, my wife wanted to give me uh, a really nice gift that said, here's what you are for me and for our kids, our little kids. Here's the blessing that you are. 
The problem she had, and she said, as she wanted to write down things about me, she said, I had very few memories of you being home. Because as a pastor, I was always helping other people. As our church grew, I was just always, evenings, I'm out doing other things. Saturdays, I'm working on sermons because I've been so busy all week. I'm finishing up messages. Sunday, I'm busy all day. And she said, I just began to cry because I, I didn't have anything to write down. And like, oh my goodness. I asked for her, her forgiveness, and uh, I began to change the way that I did ministry. I just went and told our, our church family. I said, you know what? I've, I've been doing, uh, I don't know what I thought I was to you. I guess I thought I was your fixer. But I'm not. I have so many limitations in my life, and my wife and my kids need me more than I'm giving to them right now. And I, I apologize to you because I've created that kind of an environment, and I apologize to my family because I've been stealing from them. And we just need to, at some point, say, work hard at good work, but don't make it a God in your life. It will suck life from you. And what does love look like? Uh, you're going to get a Shakespeare quote here. So they loved as love in twain had the essence but in one. Two distincts, division none. Number there and love was slain. You know what's cool about that? Even though there are two distincts, two distincts, love and twain, their love had the effect of removing the barriers that normally divide two people, division none. So they were united in heart and soul, two and yet one number there in love was slain. And I'll tell you what, in the body of Christ, we can do that. We can do that in the body of Christ. We have that kind of commitment um, to make. Final, final thing, I promise you, and that is sometimes popularity gets in the way. Any people pleasers here? <laughs> Anybody? Yeah, yeah. We're, some of us are people pleasers. You know, here's my advice. Stop it, okay? Stop it. Um, and it's not, it's not easy. I've been something I've struggled with my whole life. A state or condition of being liked, admired, or supported by many people. And you know what? It's kind of like middle school. Go ahead and put that up on the screen. Do you like me? You know, it's like, you remember those notes in middle school? Do you like me? Yes, no, or maybe? Uh, I hope I get a yes back. And you know, when, when, I, when I leave here and I'll drive and I'll see my wife in a couple hours, um, it'll be like, I, I hope they just didn't dislike me at Grace. Um, you know, I hope, <laughs> hope it was okay. Um, but we never lose that completely. But if, but if popularity, if people, if wanting people to look at us and go, you know, I like everything about them, I really like them. If that's our desire, what's going to happen is we're never going to build that community that we really need to have. And in the uh, last couple of verses... He is talking, I, I won't go into detail in those, but he's talking about his father David and watching that transition and the futility of it. And uh, you know what? And, and he's kind of looking back. He's looking back and he's seeing some of the pain and just walking down that path. There is a, uh, I love this quote, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Isn't that a great quote? I don't even know who, who that came from, but... Just uh, be present where you are. Don't worry about how people see you. Um, we have to come to a really healthy place in that. C.S. Lewis, and then I'll pray, we are not necessarily doubting, and this I think is the question that most of you have today. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful that will turn out to be. Isn't that kind of true? 
It's like, God, what kind of pain will I have to walk through? And I want you to know that by God's grace, he doesn't tell us. But here's what he does tell us. When you go through times of suffering, you deeply need each other. This church is a church that has a beautiful gospel footprint in this community. Man, pour gas on that. But every one of you is needed. The way you love each other, you know, the Bible says that they will know that we are Christians by the way we love each other. They'll know that we're followers of Jesus Christ by the way we just pour out our lives for one another and then it overflows into the community. Father, I thank you for this dear body of believers. What a wonderful group of people. I just feel blessed that I've been able to be here with them. And I know um, I probably won't have a chance to get back here for a while. Um, But my heart, part of my heart is here. And I I love what you're doing here. I love the, the power of your Holy Spirit in this place. Lord, advance your kingdom here for your glory. And use your people here to grow deeper in love for one another as they serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.